I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in wonder. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. Yes, here we are once again to dive into a film, unpack it and share our thoughts, feelings and emotions with all you listeners of the film that we've watched. And when I say we, of course, it's not just me and my own ranting about a film. It's my good friend Callum who's had a a big week of it, you know. I I think he's in a, a mood to dive into some big emotions of a film, but also he's been everywhere. He's done everything as he always does, but on the home stretch to Christmas. Callum, how are you feeling now that we're bubbling away in the Christmas period? But you are a busy man, aren't you? I feel privileged to have this bit of time with you every week. I'm very busy, Marcus. Yeah, very busy. I'm in a it's funny mood. Me, I'm in a funny mood as well. Like this episode could be West. Like <laughs> this could be one of the more interesting records. Well, I'm just so. I've just had a massive weekend of it. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like I woke up this morning, and I've already told you, haven't I? I thought I was going a bit blind. Like, <laughs> it's never a good feeling, really, is it? No, it really isn't. Um, so, yeah, I'm just very, very um, be some sort of like strange jokes might be made. I might just suddenly stop speaking or I might suddenly start listen I might start talking a lot quieter than I usually would. Um sorry listeners, you're just gonna have to listen up. Yeah, well yeah. stay in for the ride. Stay in for the ride. I just want to yeah. see you have some sleep, Callum. I feel like you deserve it. A lot. At the same time you, you've kind of deserved what you what you've given yourself. A lot of people have said that to me over the last few over the last month actually. Oh god, you look like you could do with some sleep. <laughs> Well, it's just Who the, said that? Everyone, everyone, Marcus, and now it, even even you, even you, you're saying it now. Like, like I'm not what? saying you look like you could do. <laughs> so I'm saying I know that you need some. I do. I really do. Um, just generally, like people, at, like people at work have said, "Oh, you look like you, like you could do with some sleep." And I'm just like, don't comment on the dark circles around my eyes. Like this is this is the the circles around my eyes are just signs of experience. Like I've seen things. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it can't exactly. be. It can't be undone. Um, it's older You're a man of the wisdom. world. Uh, I mean, to be fair, the circles around my eyes look like the size of a bloody globe at the moment. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm trying to think of what I've been up to. Uh, just Stuart Lee, it, really. I did. I went to see Stuart Lee. No, Stuart Lee. That can't be uh, something yeah. that just gets passed by. That is by. true. That is true. Hilarious it was. Well, he, he, he singled, sing, singled me, singled me out in the audience. Um, and that's because got to be it, worth the sleeplessness for. Well, I'm, I think I'm still still buzzing from it. Yeah, um, that's it, where the delirium's coming from. Yeah, just to be just to be noticed by 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 my icon, my 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 <laughs> my, my muse. Um, <laughs> my, well, you were his muse for that night. Well, he asked the audience. He was like, oh, "Is anyone here on their own?" And I was like, "Oh, I am Stu. I'm here on my own." <laughs> me, pick me, please, please, please. Were you pick were me. you near the front? I was on the second row. No. <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah, he's like, "Oh, can you everyone just cheer this man for coming on his own?" I was just like, "Yeah, here we go. Yeah, we." That go. had to feel good. Oh, it did. Yeah, it did. And then I realised I had no one to share it with. <laughs> I told you, I'm in a, funny, in a funny mood this evening. But you wouldn't mood. have got the cheer if you did. 
No, this is true, actually. This is true. It's a yeah. catch-22 situation. It is, isn't it? Yeah, that is so true. I wouldn't have got the, the, the cheer if I were, yeah. No. Uh, that was hilarious. But I went to see, I'd been to see Billy Bragg as well earlier nice. in, earlier in the week. Yeah. There's been some, uh, even though you've had, you know, busy time of going out and seeing the world, you've, t- you've took in some good culture. Always, always. I'm living in the city of culture. Right. Absolutely. You've, you've got to do it, haven't you? You've got to do it. Callum's London updates. Hashtag. We should do a, a spin-off series. Yeah, the, the the spin-off series that the audience have been crying out for. Yeah, yeah the sort of wandering through Callum's meanderings. <laughs> wandering meandering. There we go. Well, what I might do, I might just um, chain together uh, your tales from the last year as a nice little special release. Oh, it would certainly be special, Marcus. And a two-disc edition. Two? Only two? <laughs> yeah, well, you can fit a lot on discs these days. The, the quality of the discs that they're producing now is unbelievable. Does anyone even buy discs anymore? <laughs> <laughs> no, no but they will do for this. They will do for this. I mean, it could be the, this could be the disc reconnaissance. <laughs> reconnaissance? Reconnaissance. Renaissance. Renaissance. <laughs> reconnaissance. <laughs> <laughs> and on that mild blip, Callum, oh, uh, God, please I'm so can I t- ask I'm you so to tired. take us into the next so stage tired. of this podcast and um, take us oh. through one of your wonderful overviews of the film that we have watched at the cinema again this week. So the reconnaissance that we did... <laughs> there we go, there we go. ...is we went to see Saltburn, um, sort of like black comedy, psychological thriller, directed and written by Emerald Fennel. Um, big cast, a lot of up and coming stars, a lot of uh, established um, stars as well. Um, Barry Keegan, um, Jacob L. Already, Rosamund Pike, Richard E. Grant, Alison Oliver, Carrie Mulligan, Archie Medake. Yeah, big cast, lots of up and coming uh, people in there as well. Um, it's basically set in the mid 2000s and it follows this sort of uh, kid who is allegedly from. Prescott in Merseyside. Um, he's a scholarship student called Oliver Quick, and he attends Oxford basically. And he seemingly struggles to fit in. And you're made it's, it's made very clear very quickly of the sort of class divide that exists and how that class divide is intimately linked with money and power and um, very defined jawlines, which all <laughs> um, rich people seem to have. Um, but yeah, uh, basically. He's invited to this sort of dynasty mansion called Saltburn after making a friend with this sort of established um, capitalist socialite, I suppose. Um, apparently related to Evelyn War or the houses or something like that. Um, and basically he goes and spends the summer at this massive house and it gets very, very weird very, very quickly. Um, there's, you know, there's all sorts of like sort of pseudo sort of psychosexual kind of events that happen in it and um it's all about sort of identity and um and it actually more of an, an interesting meditation on um sort of power and love actually um and it transpires that Oliver Quick played by Barry Keegan basically is not as poor as he's made out to be or is not as um, doesn't come from as much trauma as he's made out to be because he basically lies 
he lies and says that his um, mother's an alcoholic and his dad's died and um, he creates this myth of himself this aura of him being someone that he's not and it turns out he's actually from a very privileged background and it turns out he's actually a socio-psychopath and and eventually he kills off the entire family and inherits their estate um yeah he yeah that's basically it it's a meditation on power and um sort of did identity and sex and lots of other weird things it's odd it's blooming odd. And I had no idea that Margot Robbie produced it as well. I've just noticed that, actually. Really? Margot Robbie produced it. Yeah, I did not know that. So there you go. Wow. We're learning, we're learning as we're reviewing, aren't we, Marcus? There seems to be a big-name actor producing films these days. Yeah, it's yeah, there is. But like I said, we're learning as we're reviewing. But yeah, that's, that's, that's Saltburn, I suppose. It's a strange, strange film. Thank yeah. you very much, Callum. Okay. Thank you once right. again for one of your lovely overviews. Well, let's now offer our meditation on their meditation on love, power, sex, and all the other things it uh, meditates on. Oh, yeah. And straight off the bat, I liked it. I did like it, Callum. And I'll tell you the main reasons I liked it, because there's various things at play here that we can dig into. But even though, yes, it's a thriller... Yes, it's a exploration of class, as you say, dynasty, power within that, and how this plays out in Britain, but looked at in a very quirky, slightly bizarre way. All of that's there, but I don't think that's the win of the film. I think there's some nice things and interesting things going on there. What I think the win of the film is, is that it is, it's unapologetically trying to be edgy, and indie. I think go into it knowing that. Because even though it's sometimes I think it goes too hard into that, as it's definitely trying hard to be that, I still think on the whole it wins at doing that and it achieves what it's aiming to do. Visually thought it was fantastic. The sets, the sets, that's S-E-T-S, were fantastic <laughs> because we'll get onto the other form of that later. I thought the visuals were amazing. Starting off at Oxford, that opening scene with the uh, the big tune in the background. Oh, like you've got this big uh, choir voices, but like, it makes you feel. But then the visuals have got this ethereal, dreamlike quality, which really plays out when the key pivotal point of the film is this Midsummer Night's Dream themed party, where it starts kicking off from there. But the whole film has this slightly strange dreamlike quality, both with the visuals of how those colours really pop out and the set design and all of these stunning buildings and uh, areas that it's in. But also through the plot and the characters and how they interact, it is dreamlike because their interactions are very strange. Like You watch it and be like, there's something not quite on with this. Like There's something off with how they're speaking to each other. And it's not necessarily explained or doesn't necessarily contribute to the plot. For example, when the the murders start happening, yes, there's acknowledgement of them, but it feels uncomfortable in the way that no one's really addressing this head on. It's weird things are happening, like when Felix gets killed and then the family 
and then sat around the table just having their lunch and going, nope, eat your pie, close those curtains, get the butler to close the curtains as the body's being taken away. And there's there's a weird, dark, twisted humour to that. But the whole film's got that in it and an uncomfortableness. And there's some really uncomfortable scenes in there. And you can feel it, especially why it was great watching in the cinema because you can feel the, the audience wincing and feeling uncomfortable. And I like that, even though maybe... It went a bit far, and just for the sake of being um, shocking. But I like that. I like a film making you feel something. It should make you feel something. And even though to round off, hey, maybe the themes it explores and maybe the plot isn't that groundbreaking. Interesting, yes. Groundbreaking, no. But I think the real win is this visual strangeness, uncomfortableness to both the character interactions, the plot, and the actual visuals on screen, which, from my perspective, the themes aside, just made for a really fascinating watch, which I was captivated by. The plot moved on, the locations moved on, the interactions went in strange ways. I felt uncomfortable, I felt something, and I couldn't always put my finger on what that was. Yeah, good. A good film. What about you, Callum? Did you feel similar, or did you have other different meditations on it <laughs> um I, i'm still trying to figure it out i think um, yeah i can see, i can see that it's like it, it's a weird it's a surreal um movie there's a i mean there's a i mean there's a lot of there's some freudian references in there but then there's also like literature references in there as well um i mean i think the one thing that i thought it was sort of trying to do was sort of set up this sort of like idea of itself as this making this provocative profound statement about um power and inheritance and heritage and how that's linked to money but again it was Mm -hmm. just done in a very sort of bizarre way um and i think it was at points it was trying so hard to be she was trying hard to make these profound statements, but for me, sometimes it just fell just a little bit flat. But in terms of the statements that it was making, but um, I found it really, really funny. That's the thing for me that saved it. I think the script is really good. It's really witty. Yeah, um, I agree. And that, that for me, that's the thing. That's that's the thing that saves it. Actually, um, sort of you know set aside and the and sort of like the provocative. Um, sort of mechanisms within it. If you just put that to one side and just sort of laugh at the hyperbole of how ridiculous that family is, it, it is quite funny. Um, I do think that like films, I've seen this happen quite a lot, is that whenever class is portrayed on screen, um, it's always it's always a dichotomy. It's always seen as two extremes, like polar extremes. Um, whenever a sort of like a working class scholarship character is portrayed on screen, they've always had the worst life possible, you know. Um, they've always had yeah, okay. like the sort of and the where and then when when a rich person is portrayed on screen, they've always had the best life possible. It's like, I mean, living in a huge mansion that's about as big as the town that we grew up in, <laughs> like you know, like class is always sort of depicted as two sort of opposing forces and I suppose what this does here is they actually even though it kind of it does it does sort of like um see class is a caricature caricature sorry um in this movie I think 
um, of itself. It's hyperbolizing itself. Um, but actually, I think that's what makes it ridiculous, and that's what makes it funny, actually. Um, yes. And just know. to pick up something on that, just while you're on that, is that the idea, and it does definitely do a pretty good job at using that theme of exploring class, but in the sense of class of like landed, like you say, dynasty of class mm. in like upper class in historical Britain. But what I think a bit of the message is, it's not just the, and the phrase that I've learned recently, an eat the rich film where it's like, oh, we all get excited that some rich, unself-aware people get done over, which is like the excitement of a lot of films. There's that element to it when it starts off with, where you're like, these are ridiculous, but then you feel the discomfort of, oh, the person who's coming from below is actually a psychopath. So you feel uncomfortable. What? But what I think the message comes from, it's, it's not the individuals of this landed upper class that um, persist and exist. It's the institution and yeah. the, the name and the building itself. So the idea of when they all get slowly bumps off the there's not even though there's emotion there there's not a necessary immediate concern with that event it's more of how they preserve this lifestyle and stay within this the stoic the the comical stoicism of how this just stays on track and even when he gets ollie gets the house off them in the end it's still kind of like the staff are there and the institute prevails and it's almost saying that yes look point at these ridiculous people who are in this landed gentry and it's still ridiculous looking at it in the modern age but even when they're bumped off in this it's the institution that prevails and keeps going and it's almost like a coup from this guy like like an medieval style coup done through uh, violence and subterfuge but it's the institution that prevails it does he's not there to take down the system he's there to join it and and do it for himself but it's done in a dark macabre way and there's a real gothic feel to it and i like that clash of the gothic with the almost indie film romantic feel that it opens up with i think it throws a few different genres together and when you start watching the film it does feel like a kind of indie romance like modern indie romance with the feel of it but then it goes into this darker gothic thriller but just going back to this idea of the class and things like that because the, the family um when they have Kerry mulligan's character in there and how they talk about her behind her back and then it's just she dies and it's not like a big thing said about it. It's like, oh yeah, it's a funeral next week and like it's kind of laughed off and like the individual is not seen to be as uh, important as the, the the institution and how things are done. And I think that's quite fascinating. But I I think it's a mechanism within the film, this idea of exploring that, but I don't think it does it to as good a success as some films do. But that's not a critique massively of the film for me because I think that is secondary just to the the visual experience of the film, which I think wins out over that. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of add that in there of what I think it's 
doing and why I, the areas I think it works and that class exploration because I don't think it's an out and out oh look how ridiculous these are someone takes them on but it's a dark twist on it I think there's a bit more about like the institution rather than the individuals no I'd agree with that I mean I mean the, yeah it's interesting the way you framed that actually looking at sort of how the institution sort of carries on um as obviously sort of epitomized by this the ritual that they do when they write the names on the stones yeah and they, you know they throw the stones in the in the river in the river and is it the river or the pond that they have and mm-hmm. um they're met they're, they're sort of like they're they're, they're sort of like metaphorical spiritual memory is now sort of inscribed on a a, a natural object of that's part of the land um and of course that's kind of mirrored when um you know uh Felix dies and Ollie starts to have sex with the soil of his grave. Um, the most uncomfortable of the scenes. Yeah. And yeah. you can feel it really steering into it because it like just drops pretty much all audio. And yeah. like it's it's almost a Stuart Lee bit of stand-up where it goes on for longer than it needs to. Yeah. It, just, it really drives home the uncomfortableness, doesn't it? Like it's, That was yeah. like, yeah. you could feel that in the cinema. It's odd. Because it's ridiculous. Well, the, when, I, when I went to see it at the Curzon in um, in Soho and the screen was quite full and the, everyone in the audience um, actually was making just uh, noises of horror they were all quite sort of like perturbed by it. I mean, the people on my row, I mean, which the extent where I, we actually looked at one another and we were just like, what is going on? Um, <laughs> which I quite liked. I mean, the film promoted an actual, a visceral reaction well, from an it audience. Made, it made you feel something. What yeah. that is, is well, still confusing, but it made you feel. Well, two people walked out because they, right. they, they said they'd had enough. Um, but the point, anyway, the point I'm saying here is that, like, you know, he he, he literally has sex with the soil of of, of, of the dynasty. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, obviously, there's, there's the bit when he when he tries to lick the semen out of the plug hole as well. Um, that's, I mean, he's almost sort of like, it's sort of bordering on fetish, but also um, sort of like sexual power. My one critique of the film, actually, is just how that sort of power is portrayed, actually. Like, the, the sort of the... The gay relationships and the sort of—I don't particularly like how they're portrayed on on screen. They're almost—it's almost kind of you're made out to be repulsed by um, these sort of uh, these gay fantasies, uh, whereas the the heterosexual fantasies—it's—it's just shot completely differently. Um, I don't know. For for me, it just didn't really land. It just really sit very well with me in terms of how the those um, those gay relationships were. Were, were played out only because you were meant to feel repulsed by it and it was just the only mm-hmm. the only sort of point of sort of gay representation on screen was was to be repulsed by that representation um that that would that would be my 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 one critique of the film in with regards to sort of the power and the sort of the class dynamic really and the sexual dynamic um and uh of course i mean the I mean, I suppose. Then again, though, I suppose like every character, you you meant is you meant none of the characters have any blooming redeeming features. They're all, they're all just mental. Like they're all they're all corrupted yeah. by something, um, which I suppose is a point is that a wider point that the film's making that um, the these people are they've almost kind of lost the you know what, what they weren't they didn't feel human. In some respects, it was, I think the film was saying something much more 
maybe profound in the sense that the people in the film aren't actually people. They're just ideas, maybe. Yeah. It's a strange, it was a strange ethereal sort of, um, and a, uh, sort of characterization of them all. And of course, um, the only humanity of them is when they're in Oxford, right? Saltburn, it's kind of like a, a two worlds, isn't it? It's like, oh, you have Oxford, which is just sort of like a, that's grounded in reality. And then Saltburn, I felt like it was kind of the actual space itself. Um, it was like they were in a it different planet. It still definitely planet. shows like its depiction of Oxford is still very elitist. Like, no, indeed, that, ab- ab- play ab- there isn't there. Absolutely, but of course, with 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 Oxford, you expect it to be like that. Whereas there was just yeah. something just a little bit unbelievable about the size of the house that they lived in. You know what I mean? Like, it's it was kinda... definitely like that's where it started getting a bit bonkers and surreal but i liked that element no so so was, did i yeah so did i that's what was the big success of the film uh from when i was watching it i'm like yes this is weird and it doesn't all add up or make sense like even the butler's got a really creepy strangeness to him which is a bit of like an archetype of films in big manor houses isn't it having the creepy butler but i think what he did was like it was clear that he was like a bit suspicious of ollie but he was he was the one serving the institution. He would do anything and silently get on with it to uphold the institution. He was like dedicated to that. And it's also fascinating how it like showed the family's view of others. Um and as you say, like kind of depicting them as not real people because their empathy or their connection with the outside world very much were as the individuals were kind of items or they were um things to look at in certain like when she says oh i can't stand was it like ugliness or like uh so i'm so glad that you're you've got nice eyes and stuff Mm. like that when ollie gets there she's like i just can't stand it and when they talk about um, Carrie Mulligan's character kind of like behind her back and you know there's this whole idea of the, here, Ollie and the other guy who's there they're there to like they're the charity cases and they're doing their bit for them and there's this big cut off uh, from the outside world which I think is an obvious thing to depict it's like that's why I don't know if it's too groundbreaking because it's like oh yeah these dead rich people elitist and then view poorer people as that i think then the fun thing of the plot is that it gets subverted great um it's just i think it's just the way it's depicted the novel thing of the film rather than what it, exactly it's saying yeah i was just gonna ask you a question about that actually do you think that like the judgment that, that, that they make on sort of oliver's perceived trauma um because because like the family are so ridiculous um mm-hmm. I do wonder whether their judgment just kind of falls on sort of humour rather than it being taken as a critique of that of, of the institution. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and this is why I don't think it it lands too hardly as something bigger. Like I touched upon before, I think that it's a mechanism for the plot, this idea of the elitist element. And it's funny and bizarre. And yes, it does make a comment on elitism, which we can laugh at and you take something from. But I don't think it's any bigger than your standard comment on these people are totally separate from the outside world. There's the mm. They have a bit of a fetish of struggle and trauma that they like to see him as the charity case. 
and also it's just like the bizarre nature of it but i i don't think there's anything new clever or slightly different angle on it i think that's pretty true to any kind of critique of that that's fine that's great and i like that as a an area to explore but i see it more as a plot device for this uncomfortable quirky visually uh impressive film rather than the main output of the film so yes as you say i don't think there's a huge critique at play and if we're to dig into it i don't reckon it's an out and out working class warrior who's written this film to make this point i think it's someone who probably is aware of the inequalities in and ridiculousness of a lot of the historical inequality in britain but is using that more as a as you say comedy device rather than a campaign piece um which i think is fine and i don't think this film should necessarily massively fall down because it's not got this grand statement because i think that's more of a, a separate part to facilitate what i think is a very visually watchable film well um emerald fennel it's interesting you say that actually um sort of working class warrior because she went to she went to marlborough college um okay, and, so- and, and then went to studied read english at oxford um so there's an element i suppose of um of uh Maybe maybe she's writing from some some experience there, maybe. Yeah, so it has you the know. insight. But like I said, it doesn't play hard enough to feel like it's someone writing it as an out-and-out out polemic. No, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, the, the one thing so, that I would... And that's why... I, and that kind of adds up there. That adds up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the one thing that I would say um, about um, how power is sort of portrayed in the film is that the obviously the juxtaposition by over the perceived trauma of Oliver versus the insane wealth and privilege of of Felix's Felix's family um I think that's I think that's sort of played out through um hyperbole all the time so like it's just the, the film itself is just a constant sort of um culture of extremes everything's an extreme and everything's a dichotomy um and that's how the and then that's how that's how the power is is played out in the movie i think um and the twist i suppose is that you realize that he was manipulating the situation all along um the perceived yeah. the, the perceived dichotomy was actually the um the thing that just destroyed the the, the dynasty i think yeah, and like the thriller element of it, again, don't think it's groundbreaking. Don't like it's. I like the shock elements of it, and it wraps together nicely. And when they show all the bit at the end of how he bumped him off and his like plans and stuff, it's like, yeah, it was it was interesting to see that. And I like how they rounded it. Again, wasn't necessarily groundbreaking or hugely shocking, but again, I don't think that's the win of it. I think the thriller element adds another layer to it in what is quite a layered film as a great plot device to bring it on. But I wouldn't judge this as alongside other thrillers. I'd judge it more alongside other indie-style, uh, romance self-exploration films. So that's more where it took me with all these other facets at play. So mm. even though the thriller element, it, I thought it was a nice, really fun and clever way to round the film off but i don't think like this is an out and out thriller of the highest order i think it's more of a 
indie-esque quirky film which i think works because of that Mm. i still don't know i still don't know how it lands on me though well i'm sorry i'm gonna have to ask you to find out very quickly right now and let me know how you think it landed with you um it tried too hard to say something profound that i just think didn't really didn't sit with me really the fact that i'm left wondering what point it's trying to make maybe maybe it's too trying to be too clever for its own good perhaps saying that though i did enjoy the um the cinematography actually and the soundtrack we haven't spoken about the soundtrack yeah the soundtrack was really really good i thought the soundtrack actually added another added another layer to the movie itself layered layered yeah there you go so what we're we saying can you can you wrap it up for me callum um i think it's a meditation on <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a new one for uh, your line of t-shirts i think it's a meditation no forget sonic literacy yeah, um, this is a new one. I think it's a meditation about power and class and how that's manifested. And I think um, she uses hyperbole and shock factor to drive the point home that um, power can be expressed in the in multivalent layers of money, dynasty, sex, and um, environment. That's what I got. There you go. And- can we, can we have a mark out of 10? Oh, of course. Um, just, just to keep the format going that seven. we've had for the last few years. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it 7 out of 10. I just The reason why is because I just couldn't... Um, it just... No, actually, I'm going to give it 6 out of 10. And that's quite harsh. But only because I'm still left wondering with, like the, the point of it. And for me, I just... It just it's a bit too clever for its own good. And it doesn't really sit... Um, with me, and I, I don't particularly like the how how um sort of uh, gay sex is portrayed in the mil- in the movie either. Um, so yeah, six out of ten. Thank you very much, Callum. Well, as I said, I I did like this. I liked it, and I'm going to disagree with you slightly when you say it was trying to be too clever for its own good. Because I don't think it was. I come back to what I said: is that I don't think this element of where it's trying to explore these bigger themes of uh, class and power the main driving force of it. I think the main driving force is this uh, visually accomplished film that is uncomfortable and makes you feel things and yes it it walks you into these themes and as we always say the themes are what you want to take out of it and the the thinking what it provokes within you but the win of this film was this quite quirky fascinating um yes it tries to be edgy and it was and it works in many ways but i think the shortcoming of the film is not that it tries to be too clever for its own good but it it was tried to be too edgy it tried to be too indie and weird for its own good and i think the excess of some of the uncomfortableness in it even though i enjoyed the uncomfortableness and trying to make the audience feel something to then fit in with the rest of the plot which by the way i think the plot works really nicely was sometimes a bit too on the nose and like, right, you are now just slamming this in our face to make it uncomfortable. That's where it loses its ground for me. But I found it really enjoyable to watch, um, even though very uncomfortable at times. It 
was very watchable throughout and I felt it was good pace, always ready for the next scene. It had something to bring through and I think the characters were fantastic. I loved the creepy, weird performances in there and again, it just made you feel all these things and a bit, yeah, quite different to a lot of films that I've I've watched of late and it was quite a refreshing release from that opening scene, just how it was played out in this dreamlike way with, as you say, the soundtrack and the visuals. So I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I thought it was a good film and um, it was great watching it at the cinema. And there we go. That's that, Callum. That's that. Another new release, another cinema experience, another review from the Glacé Film Club. Thank you once again for joining. And as I said earlier on, I think it's time for me to let you go and get some sleep. Oh, thank you. I hope hope all you listeners have enjoyed um, Callum's insights once again. I hope you've enjoyed our witty back and forth and rapport that we, you know, have developed over years now but I think Callum needs a rest. I think I need a rest after that. And I think we need to get ourselves ready to fire hard into Christmas as we've got plenty big more films to dive into. And hey, there might even be a Christmas special to look forward to. But there's the teaser. That's been an episode. There was the review. Thank you for listening. Until next time, that was another episode of the Glass A Film Club podcast. We'll see you all later.